Once again, good morning, Maple Grove. And it really is a good morning, right? I mean, you're alive. Amen. You're healthy enough to be here, to gather with your church family, to worship the living God in complete freedom. So we do have some things to be grateful for and to see, hey, this is a good morning. And I want to start off this morning with some words penned by Paul and breathed by the one true, all-knowing, all-present, always-existing God. Words breathed by the sovereign king of the universe. So are you ready to listen to words from your creator king? Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And not for human masters, since you know that you receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. This morning, Labor Day, Sunday, 2023, I, I, I want to unpack a simple truth that work, what you do matters, subtitle, so live extreme in your work. And now we're, uh, we're jumping out of our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew. We'll dive back in there next week as we continue unpacking Matthew chapter 10, Jesus' mission discourse. But you know, the more I thought about it, and I think you agree with me as we continue in this conversation. The more I thought about, about it, you know, going out on mission for Jesus and the work that you do really are connected. I remember one of the it's time to go principles was that we are to go to the lost beginning where we already are. And that applies to where you work. Amen? Tomorrow's Labor Day. And Labor Day has been celebrated in our country beginning late in the 19th century. Here's a poster from about 80 years ago. Happy Labor Day, a day to celebrate the achievements of our American workers. Anybody know who this is? Rosie the Riveter, right? She came to symbolize all the women in World War II that had left home to go work in factories to build munitions and aircraft, and you, you name it, as men went off to war. She came to symbolize that, that person. Here are some facts about Labor Day. The first Labor Day celebration took place in New York City in 1882, and when 10,000 rival union leaders came together to protest the poor work conditions in the city at that time. In 1894, Congress made the first Monday in September an official federal holiday. And the 24th president, who was also the 22nd president, signed into law. Anybody know who was the 24th president who was also the 22nd president? Anybody know? Grover Cleveland. You may get asked that this week. Someone's say, hey, what president served twice, two different terms, was the 24th and the 22nd? You'll know it was Grover Cleveland. It's the third favorite holiday of Americans, right? Um, it's third. What do you think number two is? You're right, Memorial Day. It, and number one would be Christmas. All right. 50, 57% of Americans travel on Labor Day. 
90% by car, 10% by plane. Uh, Labor Day marks the end of the hot dog eating season. There actually is one. It goes from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And during that period of time, Americans eat 818 hot dogs a second. There are 7 billion hot dogs. 818 hot dogs a second from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Okay? Okay? Uh, Labor Day marks the, you know, the, the closing of pools and the end of wearing white. You know? uh, I try to find out why you can't wear white, and it has all kinds of different ideas that, you know, in the summer you would wear white clothes because they were lighter, and uh, because you didn't wear white clothes in the city anyhow because cities were dirty back then, you get all muddy, but if you kept wearing white past that, you're just showing off because you're rich and didn't have to worry about your clothes, and you're always on a holiday, but anyhow, now you know. Uh, 102 million Americans have a barbecue, we're going to barbecue some stuff out. The first Waffle House opened up on Labor Day 1955, and Yesterday, you may not have known this, the day before Labor Day is International Bacon Day. And one of the slogans is, bacon is a vegetable, all right? <laughs> Anyhow, that's some useful information right there. Again, the title for today's conversation is Work, What You Do Matters, So Live Extreme in Your Work. Uh, the word extreme, here's the definition, existing in a very high degree, Going to great lengths, exceeding the ordinary, the usual, or the expected. Hey, check out these words that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Philippians 1, verse 27. He writes, above all else, someone say above all else. You must live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Jesus. Then whether I visit you or not, I will hear that all of you think alike. I will know that you're working together. And that you're struggling side by side to get others to believe the good news. You know, I think if Paul were alive today, he would really like the word extreme. And I think he might have worded the passage this way. Above all else, you must live extreme. You must exceed the usual ordinary and expected in all areas of your life. In order to bring honor to the good news about Jesus. Not only that, you must also go to great lengths to work together side by side so that people will be blown away by how you live, believe the good news, and turn to God for salvation and new life. Understand, Maple Grove, we serve and follow an extreme God who sent an extreme son to die an extreme death. So it should not surprise us that God calls you, calls me to live extreme, to exceed the usual ordinary expected for him. Get it? Good. Listen, one of the key areas that God calls us to live extreme is in our work. Slaves, obey your masters in everything. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. Understand what you do 40 plus hours every week, whether in the home, the classroom as a student, or the workforce, matters. Question, do you feel that what you do during the week matters? And listen, it's so important that you do because when you feel like your work matters, you'll have a sense of dignity about your work no matter what that work may be. You'll have a sense of destiny and purpose and you'll have an inner motivation to be distinctive, to excel, to rise above mediocrity and exceed the ordinary, usual, and expected. On the other hand, if you feel that your work does not really matter, 
You'll not have any motivation to be distinct. You have no sense of purpose. As a result, you find it much easier not to work with all your heart. It doesn't really matter if I lie, come in late, work hard, grumble, gossip, and complain. Silly job. Besides, they should pay me more and respect me more anyway. Yesterday, Labor Day 2023, I I want you to consider two reasons why your work, what you do, 40 plus hours every week matters. And my goal is simple, convince you of that truth and then send you back to work with renewed vigor, passion, and purpose. And before I dive into the study, we're going to take two. Before we take two, I want to share with you some work jokes I found online this week. They're kind of like dad jokes, so don't blame me, right? It's the best I can find. Here we go. My boss told me that as a security guard, it's my job to watch the office. I'm on season six. But I'm not sure what that has to do with security. The CEO of IKEA was appointed prime minister of Sweden. He's currently assembling his cabinet. I asked the corporate wellness officer, can you teach me yoga? He said, well, how flexible are you? Well, I can't make Tuesdays. I can't believe I got fired from the calendar factory. All I did was take a day off. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, nothing ruins a Friday more than realizing it's only Tuesday. <laughs> I always tell my new hires, don't think of me as your boss. Think of me as your friend who can fire you. <laughs> my annual performance review says I lack passion and intensity. I guess my management has never seen me alone with Big Mac. (laughs) You know what they say about a clean desk? It's a sign of a cluttered desk drawer. What do you call 12 people that do the work of one? A committee. (laughs) Yeah. You know the problem with unemployment jokes? They just never work. (laughs) I told you. What did the employee do when his boss said, hey, have a good day? He went home. (laughs) (laughs) And here's what I think applies today. You know, work is really interfering with my enjoyment of working from home. (laughs) And my all-time favorite, what do you call the boss of Old McDonald's Farm? (laughs) C-I-E-I-O. Okay. More jokes? They're good. They're good. They're only good because they're bad, right? That's what makes them good. Uh, two reasons um, why your work matters. Number one, because God is a worker. Listen, for the open pages of God's word, it's obvious that our God is a worker, that he's a God who's busy, a God who's on the move. The psalmist writes in Psalm 121, verse 3, he who watches over you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? God Watches over us. That's pretty awesome. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In the beginning, God created everything. Both the heavens and the earth. The sky, water, land, trees, mountains, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, animals, man, etc., etc., etc. Understand, none of what we see existed. 
Then God spoke, and it all was. Now think about that for a moment. Like seriously think about it. God simply spoke words and created everything. What a mighty, powerful, indescribable God we serve. Amen? The psalmist said in Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Right? Like, he's always existed. No beginning, no end. Spoke and created everything out of nothing. Right? Can you? We can't comprehend that. We can worship it. Genesis 2-2, we read, by the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating. Our God is a worker. And David writes in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Don't you just love sunrises and sunsets? Psalm 104, verse 24. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you make them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord. They're pondered by all those who delight in them. Our God is a worker. And we, according to Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, are, are made in God's image. Therefore, we are to be workers. Which is why... Right after God created Adam, immediately, Genesis 2.15, he took Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Listen, when God the Son put on flesh and walked this earth, he also was a worker. Now understand, for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus' hands were calloused and dirty as he worked as a carpenter with his dad and probably his four brothers as well. And in John 5, we read that not only did he work like his earthly father, he worked like his heavenly father. John 5, 17, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work. To this very day, I too am working. John 4, 34, Jesus said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Our God is a worker. Now, before we move on to the second reason why your work matters, I, I, I want to look at, at two of the, the work habits of God. Work habits that we as God's people who are made in his image need to embrace. Number one, they finished their work. But the seventh day, God finished the work he'd been doing. Six days, did it all. John 4, 34, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of whom sent me and to finish his work. God the Father and God the Son both finished their work. Listen, there were no car on the blocks, no jobs half done for our God. And so they completed their work, they followed through, they didn't quit, they didn't walk away, leaving undone what they had started. And that's a work ethic that we need to live out both in our work outside the church and our work inside the church. Amen? Amen. We need to finish it. We need to complete it. We need to follow through. Bottom line, we are not to walk away and leave the job undone. Get it? Number two, they rested. Now, God rested on what day? On the seventh day. Therefore, he modeled for us this idea that we need rest. 
Do you think Jesus was kind of busy? <laughs> like, I mean, him and his guys had about three years to get a lot done. I mean, his, his day planner was always jam-packed. His emails and texts and inboxes were always overflowing. There's always more to do. And yet, listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Mark 6, 31. Then because so many people were coming and going, you know, because they had so much to do, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Ever been that busy? Like, oh my gosh, breakfast, it's dinner time. Where did they go? And then Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And maybe Jesus would say that to some in this room. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Any work addicts out there? It's easy to fall into that trap, right? One more evening at the office, one more hour before we go home, one more shift of overtime, one more load of laundry, one more phone call, or one more email to send or to respond to, one more project. I mean, it can even get to the point where we feel guilty if we relax. And sometimes we forget how to relax. But understand, as the saying goes, when you burn the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think you are. God says, I want you to, to rest. David was another pretty busy guy. He put it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You see, sheep are dumb. And they're not smart enough to know that, hey, when we're tired and worn out, we should rest. So the shepherd has to make them lie down. In like matter, sometimes we're not smart enough to rest. And sometimes if we don't do that, our body will make that decision for us. <laughs> you see, God has wired our body in such a way that if you don't take time off, your body will make time off. Anybody want to give a testimony to that? And listen, there's some in this room in order to be obedient to God who need to go home today and take an N-A-P. <laughs> Crawl in that bed, that easy chair. Don't drink coffee. Don't drink caffeine. And take a nap. You're not wasting your time when you're resting. You're obeying God and you're renewing your body. Get it? Good. Okay, your work matters because God's a worker. Second reason is because your work is ground zero for living extreme and displaying his glory. Understand, where you work is, where you work is one of the main places where, where people work, where Jesus follows work, is one of the main places where people saved by God, whose life's been changed by God, intersects with the world on a regular basis. From age 18 to 65, you will spend approximately 94,000 hours at work. Assuming two weeks vacation every year. And students spend 1,400 hours in school. 
And that's where our lives intersect on a regular basis with people who are far from God. Amen? That's where they are. That's where it happens. I mean, you only spend in 18 to 65, if you attend church every Sunday, you only spend about a little over 3,000 hours at church. 94,000 hours. Bottom line, your work, what you do Monday through Friday through Saturday, whatever it is, is ground zero for living extreme and displaying his glory. And there's four points in this section of your notes. And they are the principle, the power, the practice, and the purpose. And there's a guy in the Old Testament who's going to be our case study for living extreme in each of these four areas. Before we go there, I think we first need to quickly answer another question. I mean, we're talking about living extreme, about exceeding the ordinary, usual, and expected in our work. I think it's a good idea. Hey, what is the opposite of that? Like, what is ordinary, usual, and expected in the workplace today? It's ordinary and usual for workers to show up late. To not call when they're sick. To not give two-week notice. Or if they give the two weeks notice, that two weeks are just riding out the clock. Hoping you'll kick them out early and still pay them. It's usual for workers to complain, to grumble, to gossip, and have a bad attitude. It's usual for workers not to work as hard if the boss isn't around. It's usual to put in just enough effort to get by. It's usual to eat up a day small talking with other employees rather than actually doing the job we're paid for. That's a little taste of ordinary. Now let's move on to the principle for living extreme in your work. And that is that the Lord is your ultimate boss. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. That's working for the Lord. Not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. I I like that part. Like, you, you may not get a bonus check from your work. But when we do what God says here, we work with all our heart, as if working for the Lord. God says, yeah, you know what? I, I'm, I'm working a check right now for you. I'm just waiting for the final numbers to come in. But when you do what I ask you to do, you're going to have a bonus check for me. You're going to have a reward from me. I understand. It, it wasn't a job that he wanted. It wasn't the job his family planned for him. The environment was difficult. The location was far away from his home and those he loved. And the people he worked with were difficult. And they didn't believe what he believed. They worshiped other gods. They lived different lives. They had different values. Besides all that, the job wasn't exactly a career move that he had volunteered for. You see, when Daniel was just a teenager, he was taken captive by the Babylonians. And since he was both good-looking and smart, a curse I too bear, it's tough. (laughs) Why do people laugh? He was put into a tense training program. And listen, Daniel chose to excel in that program and everything else that he did. He interpreted many dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar, dreams that no one else could interpret, and the king was so impressed by him that he made him ruler of the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the other wise men. Now some years later, Daniel had to make another involuntary career move. As the Persians came in and conquered Babylon, it was a very aggressive and hostile takeover. 
And when Darius I set up his kingdom, Daniel was given a job as one of his administrators. He's about 80 years old at the time. And we know that by looking at, hey, when was he taken to captivity and looking at the various range and rules of the Persian and Babylonian kings. He's 80 years old. Let's pick up the reading at Daniel 6, verse 3. Can we have Daniel once more in the job he did not choose? So what is he going to do? The ordinary, usual, expected? Or is he going to have faith? Is he going to adapt? Is he going to rise to the challenge and excel and exceed the ordinary, usual, expected, displaying the glory of God? Daniel 6, verse 3. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and princes. Because of his great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and princes began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and always responsible. Now, it wasn't the job. It wasn't the location. It wasn't the environment or the company that he would have chosen. And yes, he had every reason to do the usual, the expected. I mean, come on. He's a captive. He's a prisoner. He's an exile. The scripture says that Daniel proved himself capable, used his great ability, was faithful and honest and always responsible. That's living extreme in your work. Now, his co-workers didn't like Daniel. They hated him. They were threatened by him. They wanted him dead. But they couldn't find any dirt on him because he was such a great worker. We read in verse 5 of chapter 6, So they concluded, Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the requirements of his religion. And that's what they did. So they knew that Daniel prayed every day by an open window three times a day to his God. And so they tricked King Darius to issue an irrevocable decree that anyone caught praying to anyone besides him for the next 30 days will be thrown to the lion's den. And so Darius issued the decree. But when Daniel learned, verse 10, that the law had been signed, he made a few angry social media posts and led a protest march. No. He went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to his God. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found them praying and asking for God's help. So they pulled out their iPhones, they shot a video and uploaded it, uploaded it on YouTube, and it went viral. They went back to the king, reminded him about the law. Oh, your majesty, didn't you sign a law that if someone prays to anyone besides you, he must be thrown to the lions? I mean, you're just so awesome and we love you so much. Why would anyone want to pray to anyone besides you? Well, Daniel, one of your captives... Man, they hated this guy. He wasn't just a captive. He actually was a ruler. Is ignoring your law and still praying three times a day. And Scripture says that the king was so angry with himself for issuing this decree. And he spent the rest of the day, is there some loophole how I can get out of this? Couldn't find any. Daniel 6, 16. So at last the king gave orders to Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you worship continually, rescue you. A stone was brought in place over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone and with his own royal seal and the seal of the nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep 
at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of those lions so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed. And order that Daniel be lifted from the den, not a scratch was found on him because he had trusted in God. You catch what the king said when he got up early to check on Daniel? Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you worship continually able to rescue you from the lions? So awesome. How did the king know those things about Daniel? Because Daniel lived extreme in his work. Because he's faithful, honest, always responsible, capable in all things. Listen, I'm convinced if Daniel was a slacker, this story would have been much different. And you know, I'm sure that there were other employees in Persia that said to him, Daniel, you're just an exile. This isn't your country. The king doesn't believe what you believe. So why do you work hard all the time? Why do you care so much? Daniel, because I'm really serving my God. I'm doing my best for him. He's my boss. He's the one I look to please while serving in Persia, and we all have a Persia. Listen, Daniel is a living embodiment of what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything. And if this, you know, the principle of slave and master applies to employer, employee, right? Slaves, obey your masters and everything. And do it not only when their eyes are on you, the curry of their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And yeah, I get it. I feel you. I mean, when you go to work this week, like Darius, you may feel like you're in exile in Persia. You don't want to be there. The job, the location, and the environment is not what you would have chosen. And there's a million other places that you would rather be. However, the fact is, you are working where you are. And as long as you are there, you must not forget who you are ultimately serving, who your real boss is. You know, I think it would be a really good idea to memorize Colossians 3.23. I mean, like, store this verse into your heart and mind and and say it as you go to work and say it when you're at work in situations and people are trying to steal your focus. I'm going to repeat a phrase, and you repeat it on your way to memorizing this, all right? So listen intently. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. All right, stop. That was awful. I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> okay. Passion. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. 
since you know that you'll receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Good job. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you're serving. Amen. That's a principle. That's your boss. Right? Easy to forget that, right? He's your boss. He's the one you're serving. And that displays his glory. Amen. The power for living extreme in your work is connection. Again, what did Daniel do when he learned about the, the law that Darius had just signed? When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in the upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to God. And so Daniel had a very real, continual, powerful connection with God. He knelt down as usual. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Understand, Daniel's relationship with God was not a crisis relationship. You know what a crisis relationship is? It's when we don't have time for God when we need something from God. That's not a relationship. That's us trying to use the king of glory. Right? Daniel didn't have that. He didn't go, oh, man, I, I better go pray. He did that every, all the time. He was already doing it. And if, if you only have a crisis relationship with God, wake up and repent and change. Amen? God deserves better. God deserves more than just to be some cosmic vending machine that we pop in a prayer when we need it, expecting him to show up. He's a king of glory. He sent his son to die for you. Jesus bled and died for you, and that's what we're going to give him. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> but it's true. No, I'm not sorry. I take that back. He deserves more from me and more from you. Amen? And, and, and you know what? I've had a crisis relationship at time too, right? Where I forgot about God. Oh, but gosh, well, life's terrible. God, show up. And he's gracious, thank God, right? But he deserves better from me and from you, right? And see, what enabled, see, it wasn't Daniel's power that enabled him to stay firm, even when facing the lions then. It was this connection with God. It was, came from God. It was power that he got because he was connected to God. Without that connection, things would have been different, and Daniel would have solved things differently. Without the connection, he'd be, go, he'd be whining and complaining. Why me, God? I've served you so faithfully, God. Why am I treated this way? He, he'd be whining and moaning instead of worshiping and praising God in the lion's den, right? But he had that constant connection. It's the same for us, right? See, our, our, our life, live for God, we can't do it on our own. It's connection, Right? It's God's power in us, working through us. We can't do it on our own. On our own, we mess up. On my own, I mess up continually. Jesus said, if we want to produce fruit, we have to be remain in him, right? Next point is the practice. And, and extreme living in your work, the practice is just do it. Turn to the person on your right and left and, just, and say, just do it. I like that long distance over there, brother. <laughs> I like it. I was watching you to see. What's he going to do? No, what's next to him? I love it. Okay, anyhow. As John 13 opens up, Jesus is teaching his guys about being a servant. He, he models it by washing their feet. And he says this, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. No one's not enough. Jesus is saying, no one's not enough. 
And, our, and that our knowing must be connected with doing in order to unleash his blessing and power in our life. Four things you need to do in regards to your work. Number one, do your best. That's what Daniel did, right? It didn't matter. Hey, I don't care if I'm serving Nebuchadnezzar or if I'm serving Darius. I don't care if I'm serving Babylon or I'm serving Persia. I'm going to do my best. And he rose up within two different empires. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Do your best. Are you doing your best? You know the answer to that, as do I. Have a positive attitude. Daniel modeled this. I mean, he gets out of that lion's den, and he, some of his first words are, long live the king. <laughs> you kidding me? Long live the guy who just threw me into a den of lions? I'm saying a positive attitude is a powerful thing. And that's why in Philippians chapter 2, you know the chapter where, where, where Paul says, hey, you need to have the same attitude Jesus has. That's where we find these awesome words in Philippians 2.14. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. I always like to say the Greek word for everything means every stinking thing, Right? Right? And there's no qualifiers, but they're mean to me. I don't like what they're doing. So what? So what? We're Christ followers. Right? You know? And, and you know what my experience is? And, and I'm probably a bunch of people here that maybe have people working for them could testify that grumbling and complaining are the usual attitudes of workers today. I mean, there's some people who can find something to complain about all the time and be negative about. And negativity can spread like a cancer, right? Before long, you have a room full of negative people, full of grumblers and complaining. But a positive attitude can spread like cancer as well. When you go to work this week, I, I want to challenge you to have a positive attitude. Go into work, say, I'm going to be a thermostat, I'm not a thermometer. And you know the difference, right? One measures temperature. Wow, everybody's all upset. I'm going to be upset too. Now, the thermostat guys, you know what? I'm going to be positive. They're talking native. I'm not going to join in. I'm not going to join in the grumbling and complaining. I'm going to be positive. Then you see what happens. See what God can do. Let me ask you, if, if, if someone did their best and had a positive attitude at work, would their boss notice? Would coworkers notice? Would fellow students and teachers notice? You bet. That's extreme. That's reflecting and representing our God in a way that brings him glory. Next, have a servant's heart. Daniel did. He had a servant's heart. Again, it led to him advancing to empires. But he's not the greatest example of a servant's heart. I think Jesus is. I mean, the shadow of the cross is approaching him. His guys are bickering. His guys were more into the idea of being served than serving into the idea, hey, what makes you great is how many people you have under you. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 28. I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Great attitude, right? Is that your attitude to work? Is that your attitude to church? Do you come to church to be served or to, or to serve? As you go to work this week, look for ways to serve others. Your boss, 
fellow employees, customers. And like Jesus, who washed dirty feet, be willing even do the jobs that are dirty. This week, don't look out just for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others and serve other people. Get it? Good. One quick question before we move on to next point. How do you know if you have a servant's heart when you don't mind being treated like one? When, someone, when you get mad because someone treats you like a servant, guess what you don't have? You don't have a servant's heart. And that's always been my test. I have one of my professors say that. I go, Alice, that hurts. <laughs> you can't treat me that way. I deserve better than that. Oh, I guess I'm not a servant then. Okay. Next, show respect. Long live the king. I've not wronged you, your majesty. Daniel showed respect. I, I think our world could use a little bit more of that, don't you? Respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. <laughs> sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me. Okay. Check out what Peter said. The, the Bible doesn't play with us. Servants, you must obey your masters and always show respect to them. Do this not only to those who are kind and thoughtful, but also to those who are cruel. And here we're talking, and really, this is a word for slaves. So being cruel is like not saying, oh, guess what? You don't, you only get, your, your lunch break is cut short by five minutes, right? We're talking being a cruel slave master. God will bless you even if others treat you unfairly for being loyal to him. Wow. Show respect. That can be hard to do. We say in the military, show respect for the, you know, show respect for the uniform. You know, you, you, you may not respect the guy there, but you, got, you know what, I got to show respect because they're the ones in authority over me, right? And, and uh, do you show respect to your boss? Do you show respect to your teachers? Do they feel respected by you? You may be thinking, but they don't deserve respect. They're idiots. <laughs> yeah, they may be idiots. But God says, show respect to them. Do this not only to those who are kind and thoughtful, but also to those who are cruel. The practice is just do it. Do your best. Be positive. Have a servant's heart. Show respect. And finally, the purpose for living extreme is to display God's glory. Understand, there are countless people in our community who will never even consider going to church on a Sunday morning, right? I mean, Sunday is a day to go to the lake, work on your yard, wash the car, clean the house, sleep in. Besides, most people in the world think that church is boring, uptight, judgmental, intolerant, and irrelevant. So how is God's message of his love and redemption ever going to reach them? Well, God has a plan. You see, five days a week, eight plus hours a day, God has his people, those who know him, those who love him, those who've been saved by him, God has his people going out to them. 
working beside them, working for them, going to school with them, being taught by them. See, God has his personal representatives going out to nearly every corner of the world, rubbing shoulders with men and women who need the gospel. Listen, when those people choose to live extreme in their work, look out, because some amazing, only God can do that kind of stuff, is going to happen. Again, consider our man Daniel. He lived extreme as a captive, as a prisoner in a foreign country, doing his best, showing respect, being positive, having a servant's heart. And the results were incredible. Listen to what King Darius said as he lifted Daniel the lion's dead. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom shall tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. <clears throat> his kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. It impacted the kingdom. And, and Darius' grandson, a dude named Artaxerxes, when, when Israel went back to rebuild Jerusalem, guess who funded the project? Persia. Uh, do you think that had any connection to Daniel? And Daniel wasn't thinking about that, but do you think there had any connection? Absolutely it did. I understand, if you're a Jesus follower, your number one purpose at work is not to get a paycheck, <clears throat> but rather to be a light for Jesus, Amen. to put his glory on display. In a real way, you're a missionary. And the cool thing is, you don't have to go around raising support. Your boss, your company, the government, whatever, is paying you to be a missionary. And they're even giving you benefits. Maybe health benefits, maybe retirement benefits. Now, you may not like your job. I'm not saying you can't get a new one. But while you are there, you're literally on a mission from God. God knows where you are, and he sent you there to reach people for him. He sent you there to represent him to a lost and broken world that needs him so very much. You know, sometimes you hear people say, you know, that, you know, like, like the highest calling for Christians is to be a missionary. No, the highest calling is to be a Christian. <laughs> right? Because we're all missionaries. Every, the highest calling is to be a Christian. Missionaries that go over, they're on a higher level than you. You don't have to go to China or Kenya or the Middle East to be a missionary, as awesome that is. You are already a missionary where you are. And listen, when I think of the hundreds of encounters that you make each week at work and at school, encounters with lost and hurting people, encounters with people who desperately need to experience the love and grace of God, Encounters with people who need to know that even in a world full of chaos, there is a great, good, powerful king who's seated on his throne, whose glory fills the earth. They need to know that there's a firm foundation, like we sang, right? He's our firm foundation. Some people don't have that. They need to know about it. When I think about all the encounters you're going to have this week, I get fired up. Because I know that if you will allow yourself to be seized by this truth, that you're a missionary, and that you're there for a huge and eternal purpose to display his glory and draw people to him, 
some amazing Daniel chapter 6, Darius' grandson kind of things are going to happen. Amen? Okay, we're about done, seriously. But what if each day before work this week and beyond, you really did pray for one and actually look for ways to live it out? Work they started. Lord, I'm going to work. Hate my job, <laughs> but I'm there. Lord, I'm going to work. Please show me one person today at work that I can show your love to. And then begin looking for ways to live that out. Amen. Question, whose name will be written in the book of life just because they happen to work at the same place that you do? Read this in Isaiah. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? God looks at this world, the world that he loves, and he goes, and he sees hurting people, lost people, struggling people, depressed people, discouraged people, broken people. And he says, Who shall I send? Who will go for me? Who will go to Enjik? Who will go to DIA? Who will go to UVA? Who will go to Chick-fil-A? I'm running out of A's. Who's going to go to Albemarle High School? Who's going to go to Ruckerville Elementary School? And God wants us in this room to say, hey, I'm already headed that way there. I, I was there last week and I lost my focus because it's hard and it's difficult and the grind gets to me and the environment gets to me but I'm going back this week with a new passion knowing that you sent me there and you got a mission for me and I can make a difference for you and I can display your glory. This week, brothers and sisters, do your best. Be positive. Show respect. Have a servant's heart. Pray for one, and as we used to say years and years ago, and let's see what happens. Father God, we love you. We need you. And God, thank you for allowing me to speak to these missionaries today. Missionaries, Lord, who this week will be going out into the workforce or going back to school, Lord, and they're going to rub shoulders with people and God, help them know that every eye they lock, every eye they lock eyes with, every person they lock eyes with, is someone you died for, is someone you love. And God, I pray that you'll use us in a mighty way. God, thank you for having patience with us. Thank you for Daniel's example. And thank you for Jesus, our rock and cornerstone. In Jesus' name. Amen.